Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We are continuing along in our series, Church in the Wild, Faith in the Fray. And today, as you have been told, we are going to be talking about who we are, uh, and specifically, of course, who we are in Christ. Uh, we don't just have an identity, we have an ideal identity. Uh, Peter's going to talk a little bit about that this morning. You know, as we seek to live this Christian life, and of course, Neil shared with us last week how we are to love one another, and of course, we know that loving one another will involve sacrifice, suffering. Uh, and in order to do that and to do it faithfully and persistently, uh, we have to know who we are. I mean, one of the most significant questions pondered by human beings, as long as there have been human beings, is that question, who am I? Who am I? What am I here for? Uh, knowing your identity is crucial uh, to living a meaningful and satisfying life. So how can we know who we are? That's the question that we want to ask today. How can we know who we are? How do we know who we are? All of us have an idea about who we are. Well, how do we, how do we know that? I'm going to tell you right now, you know who you are, you think you know who you are, because somebody told you who you are. And the reality is, throughout our lifetime, people tell us who we are. Oh, you're a good student. Or maybe, oh, you don't understand that? You're maybe not such a good student. Oh, you're a good athlete. Oh, maybe you need to be in some other recreational event. <laughs> Throughout our entire life, people tell us who we are. Oh, you're, you're important. And of course, the other side, oh, maybe you're not so important. We're told throughout our lifetime and continually reminded uh, of who we are. But the person that we need to listen to is the very person that we have sung about this morning. Uh, you are who you are because God says who you are. And that's the voice that you need to listen to. Our text this morning begins with these words, and I'm not going to read it all yet, but I'm going to just talk about this as a, as a way of introducing the text. And again, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, the, the text begins with these words, as you come to him, and of course, the him is Jesus here, as you come to him. And, and I, again, what Peter is letting us know, because he's writing to Christians, Coming to Jesus is not a one-time event. I think sometimes as, as Baptists we get this idea that coming to Jesus is, is all about coming to Him for salvation, coming to Him for forgiveness of sins, come to, coming to Him to receive Him as Savior and Lord. And of course that's a very important aspect of coming to Him. But as Christians, the reality is we will continue to come to Him. We must continue coming to Him. That word are those words, as you come. They speak of, of personally and habitually, continually approaching or, or drawing near to Jesus. And let me just stop and say, what a wonderful privilege we have as Christians, right? We can come to Jesus, not just on the day that we get saved, but every day. And let me tell you, when we look at the world in which we live and the struggles which we will deal with as a result of living in this world, we need to come to Jesus regularly, continually. Uh, yeah, we come to Him for salvation, but we must continue coming to Him throughout all of our lives. Uh, and as we do that, of course, 
inevitably what will happen as we draw near to Jesus, as we approach him over and over and over again, we will find out more and more about him. We will come to know him in a more intimate, deeper, more significant way. But the other thing that happens is we come to find out about ourselves. You'll never know yourself until you know Jesus. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more you will get to know and understand yourself by coming to Christ. And how do we do that? We come to Christ through prayer, of course. We come to Christ through the study of his word. We come to Christ as we sit and talk about the word of God and encourage one another as we share the events of our lives and how we dealt with those events and how God provided us with strength. All of these things are ways of, of coming to Jesus. And as we do that, we discover who we are and what we were made for. So important that we understand that. What we will find is that we will, we will begin to identify with Christ. Peter says that, that Jesus was rejected by men. Have you ever experienced rejection in your life? We've all experienced rejection at one time or another, to one degree or another. Rejected by someone that we thought would accept us. Uh, we've experienced that. And so we can identify with Jesus in his Rejection, but we also need to identify with him in the fact that what Peter says about him, that he was God's chosen and precious one, that we too are chosen and precious to God. So we identify with Christ, but we also find our identity in Christ. And that's really what this is going to be all about today. And so with that, I just want to, want to read with you 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read that fourth verse again and then read down through verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Peter writes, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, <clears throat> a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then listen to this last verse. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for reminding us this morning, really for telling us who we are. Lord, there are so many voices <clears throat> that we hear and that we listen to uh, that are also telling us who we are. Father, help us to reject those voices that are not speaking truth to us. And Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to come to you on a regular, continual, day-by-day, moment-by-moment uh, experience to hear from you who you say we are. Lord, that's who I, I, I want to hear from. I, I want to know who you say I am. And so open our hearts today to the reality of who we are in 
Jesus. And of course, Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to understand that all of these words that you have spoken to us through, through Peter, Lord, these are words spoken to Christians, to believers. Uh, we at one time were not a people. We at one time had not received mercy. We at one time were dead in our trespasses and sins, but because of Christ, uh, no longer. We are your people. We have received mercy. We are alive today in Christ. And I pray that our lives, not only as individuals, but as a church, uh, would display the very life of Christ through the way that we live, through the way that we worship, through the way that we serve, through the way that we love you and love one another. And we'll give you praise and thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Your identity is tied directly to the family that you're a part of, right? No big, no big mystery there. You are born into a family, every one of us, and so much of our identity is wrapped up uh, with that family and our role in that family. Well, what Peter is reminding us today is that as believers, we're a part of God's family. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. Uh, the emphasis throughout all of these verses that we've read this morning that we're going to look at is, is on the corporate nature of Christianity, kind of our corporate identity. Uh, in, in the West, in America, we tend to emphasize the individualistic nature, uh, even of our, of our Christianity. Uh, but really, Scripture is, is more about the corporate nature of our faith. We are the people of God. We are the family of God. We are the body of Christ. It's not just me, but it's us. Uh, and, and too often, again, because we have a hard time getting along with us, right? We don't always agree with us. And so if we're not careful what we find ourselves doing, I, I, I was told yesterday by a person who attended uh, the funeral for Steve Booth that we had here yesterday morning. He said as he drove into town, he said it had been a long time since he had been over in this part of town. And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, he said, did you know that there's a Baptist church on every corner? He said, I kept passing these churches thinking, is that the one? No, that's not the one. Is, is that the one? No, that's not the one. He said, there's a Baptist church on every corner. And I, I said, I said, yeah, it's because we have a hard time getting along with one another. <laughs> we have to go down the street and do our own thing because we don't get along with those people at the other end of the street. It's hard for us. But Scripture reminds us over and over and over and over again that we are not individuals necessarily. We are. There is an individualistic sense in which we have to come to Christ personally, and, but He is our personal Savior. But, but then we are made to be a part of Christ's body. We are members of the body of Christ. We are united in Christ Jesus, and, and we are united in Christ Jesus for our own good. You know, God's not trying to punish us by making us all worship together. He wants us to be here together to encourage one another. He wants us to hear these little children sing what they've learned at Vacation Bible School and be encouraged by that. He wants us to hear one another's story and be encouraged by that. We are, we are united in Christ for our own good and, of course, ultimately for the glory of God. So first and foremost, Peter says <clears throat> one of the greatest factors of your identity is your part in the church. You're a part of the church. You yourselves, he says, like living stones are being built up 
as a spiritual house. In other words, Christ is the cornerstone. He's the living stone, <coughs> chosen and precious to God. But you yourselves, like him, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. And, and I believe what Peter's emphasizing here is that by being a part of the church, God has given your life stability. All right? It's the cornerstone. Now, I don't know a lot about architecture and certainly not a lot about ancient architecture, but, but the cornerstone was the key to a stable building. If you were going to build a building, especially in the days of Christ, but I'm, I'm told even somewhat in this day and age, you have to start with, a, with that stable cornerstone. Uh, and of course, much more important then than it is now, I suppose. And Christ is that cornerstone. He, of course, is what gives our lives stability. And in Him, together, we experience this stability. We're, we're part of God's family, and, and God has promised that He would build His church. And, and of course, that's what Peter says. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. Uh, and again, notice the emphasis on who's doing the building. All right? It's God. It's God who's building His church. God's put you here. God has made you a part of this family his family, our family. If you want to experience real stability in your life, you'll, 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 you'll seek to grasp and understand what it means to be a part of a church family. Not just some Lone Ranger Christian out there doing his own thing. There's too many of those. God made us and remade us to be a part of a family, to experience, and that's really what Peter is talking about here, to experience spiritual growth being built up within the community of believers. That's when it happens most efficiently and effectively, together. Oh, can, can you learn about Jesus on your own? Certainly you can. Should you be learning about Jesus on your own? Absolutely. You should read, you should study, you should have your devotional time. But I believe where God really speaks to our hearts, where God really does His work, is when we come together. Together. The stability that comes from knowing that I'm not all by myself out there is just a remarkable thing. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read this, this passage of Scripture to you. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. <clears throat> of course, Peter began letting us know that we were exiles, right? Elect exiles. Paul says this, he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, in other words, no longer exiles, but you're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. Now think about that for a moment. We sang the song a moment ago, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. You know what? Peter's making the case that, you know who the house of the Lord is? We are. You know where God's place is? It's in us. We get this idea all too often, and I know we've talked about it a lot here, that those buildings on every corner are the houses of the Lord. Not so. When you're not here, this is just an empty building. But when you're here, this place is filled with the glory of God because God dwells in you. That's what, that's what Peter's saying. We're the ones being built up into this spiritual house. God is at work building his church, building us up. And together, 
we can say with absolute confidence, we are the dwelling place of God. I mean, Paul asked the Corinthian believers, he says, do you not know that you're God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you? <clears throat> that God's spirit dwells in you? <clears throat> Excuse me. We are indwelt, and by reason of that, <clears throat> empowered by God's Spirit. So not only is there stability <clears throat> in being a part of the body of Christ, but there is strength. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the less strength I seem to have. I used to carry tables and chairs around this church, and I've been doing that for, I guess, as long as I've been here, 34 years, and <clears throat> do you know those tables are much heavier today than they used to be? <laughs> and we've even bought lighter weight tables over the years, <clears throat> and they still feel heavier than they used to. I think all of us understand that there, there is a strength that we need to live the life that we desire to live, to live the life that God has called us to, that we simply don't possess by ourselves. I found myself over the years needing a little help. Uh, I go get somebody to help me carry tables and chairs now. I used to just go grab a few myself. Uh, and that's the way it is. And that's why God has brought us together. There is a, a spiritual strength, a strength that enables us to carry out the purposes of God. And we do that together. We do that in unity. We, we are strengthened as the spiritual house of God. God dwells within us and strengthens us as we work together. And then Peter also mentions that as a part of the church, we have a, a standing in Christ. In other words, you know, I think many people don't consider themselves very important. They, they don't consider themselves to have what the world would call status or standing, the word I chose to use this morning. But let me tell you, Peter says, you're like living stones being built up into a, a spiritual house. To, listen to this. In order, the purpose of this building up that God is doing, to, that you might be, again, together, <clears throat> a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I mean, that's an amazing thing. I often say we don't often like to think of ourselves as saints, right? You probably would never call yourself a saint. Somebody else might call you that, maybe, but you wouldn't call yourself that because you think that, that word implies somehow sinlessness or moral purity, excellence that you, you could never achieve. But let me tell you, being a saint just means being a holy one. It means being one set aside by God for God. And let me tell you, if you're a Christian today, you're a saint. You're a saint of God. And you are a part of God's holy priesthood. And you were to offer spiritual sacrifices. And so what I mean by having standing within the church, you know, again, that's the other thing we run into in the church all the time. People are members of the church, but they think, you know, I'm not important to that church. That church doesn't need me. They don't miss me when I'm not here. They wouldn't care if I never came back. Let me tell you, that's the farthest thing from the truth. We need you here. Again, those of you watching from home that could be here this morning, but have just simply chosen not to, come back to church. I'm so thankful for our live stream that you can sit at home and watch us and that you are watching us this morning. But if you can be here, be here with us. We need you to be here. It's important. We have this wonderful standing in Christ. Priests were the only ones allowed to minister in God's temple. 
All right? Nobody else could do what they did. Nobody else could offer sacrifices, only the priests. In other words, it was only the priests that could truly enter into the presence of God. Now, we know today that every Christian, all right, is just exactly what Peter said. We're a part of the holy priesthood. As Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as members of the household of God, we have the privilege of entering into the presence of God. And again, that's a mar marvelous privilege. We can have constant access to the throne of God. I don't have to go to a priest and ask him to offer a sacrifice for me. I don't have to go to a priest and ask him to offer prayers to God for me. Peter says, I'm to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God myself. We're to offer spiritual sacrifices to the Lord together as a body of, of Christ. We're to go to the Lord in prayer together. We don't have to go through any intermediary, only through Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is. So as we approach him in prayer, as, as we gather together, acknowledging his presence in this place, we are infused with power, enabling us to engage in loving service to others. That's really what the spiritual sacrifices that we offer to God are. Our spiritual sacrifices are our are, are loving service to one another. And let me just say this. You being here today to sing praises to the Lord, to listen to his word, to worship God. Did you know not only is that a, a, a spiritual sacrifice that we need to offer to God, but we do that for one another. It's not just for God that we gather here. We gather here for one another. That's the purpose that Peter's talking about. It's a corporate church issue. We come before the Lord together again. Your identity is an ideal identity because you're part of the church. You're part of God's family. If you have received Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you're a child of God, you're part of God's church. Wonderful, wonderful privilege. The other thing that so much uh, determines our identity are choices that are made. And let me just say this. God chose to save you. All right, Peter talks about that right here. God chose to save you. We could also say it this way. God chose you to save. I don't think we like to hear it that way so much, but that's the truth. God chose to save you. God chose you to save. And then you've also made a choice. You chose to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. And your identity is determined by these choices and, and many others that we could talk about today. And what Peter does here is he talks about this. He says, <clears throat> again, for as it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. He, he repeats that idea of Christ being chosen and precious to God, and thus we in Christ also chosen and precious to God. And he says, and whoever believes, all right, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but... For those who do not believe, well, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter is making the case, and the reason I've entitled that the choice, is, is because he is saying to us that you are either saved, you are either a believer, or you are not saved. You are one of those who does not believe. And, and, and the way I wrote this in my notes, I'm just going to say it the way I wrote it here. Salvation is a binary concept. 
All right? And what I mean by that, again, and what Peter is saying here, it means that you are either saved or you are lost. You are either a believer in Jesus Christ or you are in rebellion to Jesus Christ, an unbeliever. There are no other options. The entire world is made up of two kinds of people. Christians and non-Christians. Believers and unbelievers. So again, using Peter's words, you are either one of those who believe, who have put their faith and trust in Christ, or you are one of those who does not believe. You have willfully rejected Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, chosen and precious to God. And while we're talking about binary concepts, I'm going to mention this. This is, Neil might say, this is just an aside. It has nothing to do with the text we're looking at. I just want to say this because I hear so much about it these days. Gender is also a binary concept. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. Two options. I had to do a little reading this morning to remind myself about how this whole thing works, and I'll just say it this way. In the process of conception, the father contributes either an X or a Y chromosome. The mother contributes an X chromosome. So if the baby has both an X and a Y chromosome, you know what? That little baby is a boy, a male. If that baby has two X chromosomes, it's a girl, a female. That happens at conception. Every article that I read, whether it was on a Christian site or otherwise, said that gender is determined at conception. And we're able to test pretty near the end of the first trimester to find out whether that little baby is a boy or a girl. So gender, unlike what we're being told all the time, uh, is a binary option. Only two options. You are either male or female. And further, we don't get to choose which one. God sovereignly and lovingly does that for us. So if there was any question in your mind, now you know. So let's get back to salvation. Two kinds of people in the world. I've, I've labeled them the faithful and the fallen. The faithful are those who believe. Those who, Peter says, believe in him and will not be put to shame. Those who receive honor because of the fact that they have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe what Peter means here, at least the, the basics of what he is saying uh, as far as not being put to shame, is that those who trust in Christ will escape the coming judgment. Christian, brother, sister, let me assure you, we will one day stand before Christ, the, 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 the mercy seat of Christ, all right? But our sins will not be judged at the mercy seat. We will not be put to shame at the mercy seat. Our sins have already been judged. Christ paid the price for our sins. He drank the cup of God's wrath in our behalf on the cross. We will not be put to shame, but rather, because we have believed in Jesus, we will experience honor. We will be honored. And again, the indication here is that that honor will come when Christ returns. We, we might experience rejection now. 
There are places in the world where Christianity is outlawed, where Christians have been marginalized. They've had to go into hiding in order to do what we're doing here openly today. But when Christ returns, our faith in him will be vindicated. Every eye will see. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What someone may argue with you about at Starbucks tomorrow morning will no longer be argued in that day. We will receive honor. We too, like Christ. Again, Christ was rejected by men, but he was chosen and precious in the sight of God. You may experience rejection as you seek to live out your life for Christ, but let me tell you, in God's sight, you're chosen. Precious. That's what Peter's telling us. That's who you are. This world may not value you very much, but your heavenly Father does. He values you so highly that he sent his son to die for you on a cross. We are valuable. We are precious. We are chosen. Of course, there are those who do not believe. I, I, again, I've, I've labeled them the fallen. And what I mean by that <clears throat> is the way we use that word when we refer to fallen soldiers, those who have died, those who are, are, are dead, the fallen, the unbelievers. Again, the Bible tells us that before we received Christ as Savior, we were dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. And as long as you choose to reject the salvation that God has provided for you through His Son, Jesus Christ, you remain in your sin, you remain dead spiritually. And if you don't do something about it before the end of your life, You'll remain that way through all eternity. Those who refuse to trust and obey will stumble over, as Peter uses those words. He's quoting the Old Testament. You'll stumble over the gospel. Uh, and, and men have been stumbling over the gospel forever. Uh, they just cannot conceive of a suffering Savior, a crucified Christ, a, a meek, mild, humble Savior, uh, someone who, who provides our salvation for us by grace through faith, all of that is just not what our human minds want to, want to think. And so we stumble over this whole idea of Christ. But again, he is the, the cornerstone. And the idea here is not only will they stumble over Christ and the gospel, but they'll be crushed as a result by the weight of God's wrath. According to 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. All of that wonderful stuff we were talking about that we have as Christians, access to the presence of God, the indwelling, empowering strength of God in us, lost people don't have that. And unless they come to Christ, they'll never have that. They will die in their sins and again suffer eternal destruction. And I also want you to notice that little phrase after that. It seems like an odd place for Peter to mention it, but he says, as they were destined to do. Uh, let me just say this. Every time you read a passage of Scripture, a verse of Scripture, a phrase like this that, that speaks of the sovereignty of God, it's there to comfort you. And this is no different. The people that Peter is speaking to were beginning to experience rejection. 
persecution. And who were they experiencing that rejection and persecution from? Those who did not believe. The unbelievers, all right? Christians are experiencing rejection and persecution this very moment in various places around the world from unbelievers. Peter reminds us that even those unbelievers are under the control of Almighty God. So these reminders of God's sovereignty over all His creation are there to comfort us, not to concern us, but to comfort us. God is in control of His believing ones, no doubt about it. He's chosen us, chosen us to save. But He's also in control of those who do not believe. So if you're experiencing rejection or persecution, know that God is in control. And the last thing I want to point out is this wonderful charge that has been given us, this, this command of God. He begins in verse 9 by saying, again, reminding us who we are, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that, in order that, there is a, there is a purpose for this, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This third aspect of our identity, our identity I originally wrote, is to be clearly displayed by the way that we live our life, by the purposes that we pursue. I'm more and more convinced that for Christians, our identity, well, for everybody, our identity will be clearly displayed by the purposes in our life that drive us. What is it that makes you tick? What is it that gets you up in the morning? You know, if it's something other than Christ, you need to come talk to me. For the Christian, it's Jesus. That's what gets us up in the morning. We can't wait to get up to see what God has in store for us. We can't see, wait to get up to see what, what purposes of God might be fulfilled in our lives today. How God might use us. How God might choose to bless us. Peter says we've been called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And our lives will clearly demonstrate by the way that we live who we choose to come to every day. Whether or not we've really been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So all of these descriptions of who we are are really motivations for us. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. And all of these descriptions, by the way, are Old Testament descriptions of Israel. And so applying them to the church speaks to us of the continuity of God's plan. The nation of Israel, like Adam before them, had been commanded to carry the gospel and the glory of God into all the world. They failed. So now, church, we have been commissioned to fulfill that glorious mission. And let me tell you, we're not going to fail. The church is not going to fail. We're a chosen race. Again, like Jesus, we are chosen by God and precious to Him. We're a royal priesthood. He'd originally said a <clears throat> holy priesthood. Here, a royal priesthood. Priesthood. The idea here is that we, we serve as priests at the pleasure of the king and in his presence. Again, the, the presence we've already talked about. But, but think about that. God has called you to serve him. You know, we get all excited when we get a great job offer, don't we? 
or when our children get a great job offer or when they get a promotion. We get all excited about that. But think about this, church. We have been called to serve God. And he's been pleased to call us to do that. No greater job offer that you could get. We are a holy nation, Peter says. Again, the word holy means set aside. We've been set aside by God and for God. We're a people of God's own possession. Perhaps that's the most precious description there. We're God's people. Again, we say that, but do we really understand what that means? We are God's people. We belong to Him. He has made us and He has bought us. We're His. Bought by the blood of Jesus. Isaiah said it this way, or God said it through Isaiah this way. He said, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. My goodness, we need to remind ourselves of that every day before we leave the house. Fear not, church, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. No greater motivation than we could have to live godly lives than that. And then, of course, the implication here is that God has entrusted us with a ministry. Again, the proclamation of His excellencies. I think another thing that is so characteristic of human beings, we like to talk about the good things that we've done. We like people to know that we've achieved or, 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 or made some goal or we've, we've, we've done something outstanding. We like people to know that. We hang certificates, diplomas, trophies. We display them for everybody to see. Look what I did. Look how good I am. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but our lives are to be lived to proclaim the excellencies of Him. We're to make God look great. We're to, we're to talk more about who God is and what God has done than who we are and what we've done. We are to live and to speak in such a way that God's character and qualities are clearly seen and heard in all that we come into contact with. Again, we've said this before. We are to live our lives making much of God. You know, we are so desirous of God making much of us. We want God to bless us. We want God to heal us. We want God to provide for our needs, to fill our bank accounts. We want God to do all these things for us. Well, what, what are we doing for Him? What are we doing to make His name great? The truth is God does all these things for us. He protects us. He provides for us. But we've been called to proclaim His excellencies, to let people know how great our God is. That's our ministry. And of course, the message is, what's the message? We all have a message. We know that ultimately the message is the gospel, that God loved us and sent his son into the world who lived a perfectly sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose again on the third day. Ultimately, he was exalted to the right hand of the Father where the Bible says he ever lives to be our intercession, our access to God. That's the gospel. But what about your own personal testimony of the gospel at work in your life? We can all say what Peter says here. Just put your own name there. Once I was not a people, but now I'm God's people. We're God's people. What a wonderful testimony. I wasn't always God's people, but I'm God's people now. Once I had not received mercy, <clears throat> but now I have received mercy. That's our story. That's your story. That's, that's everybody's story in this room. I know we've all, all got our own little <clears throat> specifics that make our story a little bit different from the person sitting next to us. But this is true 
of every one of us. God has given us a message to declare. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, 12. We were once without hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our story. That's our message. We need to be telling it everywhere we go. So here's the thing. If you want to know who you are, you must know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, if you've come to him to receive him as Savior and Lord, then Peter says, keep coming. Keep coming to him. Don't look at coming to Jesus as a one-time event in your life. Keep coming to him every day. Get to know him better, more intimately. Get to know who God says he is and who he says you are. Develop a proper identity. So, you know, so many of the problems that we... Take our, our recent events. So many of the, of the shooters in these mass shootings. You know, when we finally find out all about them, these were troubled people that had no proper identity. They didn't know who they were. They thought they were something that they were not. God tells us who we are. We just have to open our hearts to it and receive it. So come to Jesus. If you've never trusted Christ, come to him this morning. Receive him as Savior. And Lord, turn from your sin, the Bible says. Repent and receive Christ Jesus. Welcome him into your heart and life to be your king your treasure, your savior, and then keep coming to him.